0: can't wash your sin away. Hinduism can't open heaven's gates for you. Islam cannot deliver you from hell. Only one message saves sinners and brings them safely into the presence of God, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ.
1: Welcome to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire.
0: Well today we're going to continue our message on the subject, Don't Be Ashamed. As we saw last time, there is a big difference between being shamed and being ashamed. The world may try to shame us into silence for standing up for Jesus, but that doesn't mean we must be ashamed of him or of his word. So join me now as we look again at this important word. people are not in church today because they feel ashamed to go to church because they have listened to the devil who said to them who are you to go to church look at you look at your life look at what you've done look at how you're living you're a hypocrite don't be a great big hypocrite and go to church when in fact the church doors are wide open for hypocrites come on hypocrites we've all been hypocrites at one time or another let's be hypocrites together and get healed Nobody's perfect, but isn't it interesting how the devil shames people into even going to church? Who are you to speak up for Jesus at work? Look at how you live. Look at those mistakes in your life. Look at those weaknesses in your life. Who are you? And the devil, without us realizing it, he shames us. He's a shaming devil. His modus operandi is to accuse the Christian, and in accusing you, he hopes to shame you. He uses the satanic tools of mocking and ridiculing the committed Christian in hopes of making him ashamed, to take a stand for Christ, he wants to shame you in silence. If you receive the shaming he heaps on you, watch this. you will become ashamed. Feeling ashamed is the result of having been shamed, and he wants you to be ashamed of the gospel of the Lord himself. It's his tactic to accuse, to mock to ridicule, to criticize. And a lot of times we don't even realize what voice it is talking in our heads. But it's the enemy. Now, the things that Satan seeks to shame the believer about have varied from generation to generation. I've noticed that every generation, or about every decade, there's some new shaming weapon that the enemy uses. Pastor John Piper tells of how he had recently heard Bible teacher Alistair Begg say that his unbelieving friends criticized him in the sixties because they did not believe the gospel was true. So they criticized him. You know what they were saying? You've missed it intellectually, Mr. Begg. In other words, you're not very bright. You're not an intellectual. You're not thinking. You're not very broad-minded, attempting to shame him for saying that he believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. But then he said, in the 90s, the shaming weapon changed. And they began criticizing him for claiming that there was any truth at all. In other words, the shaming tactic changed from, you are wrong, Mr. Begg, and not very bright, to... Mr. Begg, you are arrogant if you think that others are wrong and you are right. You're just arrogant because after all, truth is relative. And who are you to tell me that I'm wrong? Because your truth is your truth and mine is mine. And if you're going to come along and say, I know the truth, then Mr. Begg, you are off mark and you ought to be ashamed of yourself for saying such a thing. You're being pompous, arrogant, and condescending. It isn't funny how when you start to speak out, the minute you think, should I say something, a thought will go through your head of why you shouldn't. And it's generally something shaming, something that makes you afraid of being shamed. Because nobody likes being shamed. And I believe the shaming tactic of Satan has changed yet again. Listen carefully to me. Today, the greatest weapon of shaming is the accusation that you're intolerant who are you to say you're right and we're wrong and how dare you be so intolerant have you ever noticed that those who preach being tolerant are the most intolerant of those who don't agree with them that's free that's not in my notes but see the shaming tactic of satan has changed again, where if you are accused of being intolerant, if you stand for truth and if intolerant, then here's what goes along with that. Then you are also mean spirited and egotistical for disagreeing with the world's values and morality. And oh folks, this is gaining steam in our culture. That's why I'm preaching to you that you've got to put on boldness and get out from under shame because we're going to have to grow a spine and stand up and speak up or lose this country. For example, the world today will attempt to shame you if you take a stand on what Scripture says about homosexuality or same-sex marriage or on the truth, worthiness, and trustworthiness of the Bible. Surely you're not so stupid as to believe the Bible, that archaic old book that's filled with violence and bloodshed. we hear Surely you're not going to tell me that homosexuality or same-sex marriage is wrong. Everybody knows if you've been enlightened, you don't agree with that. If you take a stand on Bible morality, have you noticed? A tsunami of condemnation and shaming will quickly come crashing down upon your head. Shame on you. Shame on you for saying such a thing. You'll be called things like hater, bigot, homophobe. If you say anything against Islam, Islamophobe and other shaming. Did you notice those are shaming words? Do you notice that? Those are shaming type words designed to muzzle you from speaking up again. I know exactly what I'm talking about. When I was in college, I was in a radio TV film class. And at the end of the class, it was coming up on Christmas time. The semester was coming to a close and we received an assignment and the assignment was all of us in the class were to do our own film. It was going to be a little three minute film. We had our audio directors. We had our camera people. We had our lighting people. And you as the student were the talent and you wrote the script for the video. And so my time came and I thought, wow, it's Christmas time. I'm in a college where all these very bright, intellectually curious people go. So, I'm going to do my video on the amazing prophecies concerning Jesus Christ and how they all came to pass. Since it's Christmas time, surely they will all go, Wow, I didn't know that. Boy, what did I learn? Here's some of the verses I use You shall call his name wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the increase of his government, there shall be no end. Micah five verse two. But you Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, yet out of you shall he come forth. I thought if they see that Micah, centuries before Christ, said that Jesus was going to come out of Bethlehem, be born in Bethlehem, then maybe some of them will get saved. So here I am. I'm the talent. Lights are on. I'm reading my cue cards. It's all on cue cards, and everything that I said was Bible. The whole class was supposed to critique your film. So I'm reading along. I can't see. There's bright lights coming down in my face, and I'm just reading the cue cards straight in front of me, and all of a sudden I hear noises. I don't think anything about it. I kept on reading. I thought, wow, this is really good. This is powerful. Even I think this is good. I finished. The lights came on, and there's no one there. I looked around, there's no one, one girl who was also a Christian. She comes up to me, she says, Jeff, I'm so sorry. Where, where is everybody? They all left. I didn't realize that when I started reading that Bible, there was such spiritual darkness in that radio, TV, film class. They couldn't take hearing the Bible quoted. They couldn't take it. So they all went out in the hall. Even my teacher left. I'm looking at empty chairs. Nobody to critique me. Nobody say, hey, that was a good film, Jeff. And I'm going to tell you, folks, it was an attempt to shame me. Oh, man, I walked out in the hall, and they're all leaned up against the wall in the hall. And when I walked by, it was like, oh, there he goes. <laughs> See, the power of the Word of God. When you share Jesus, it's like a light comes on in the room, and the cockroaches run. Okay. (laughs) And this was at, I'll go ahead and say the University of North Texas in Denton. I walked out of there and I was taking a bus back and forth to school in those days. And I got on that bus and church, I'm going to tell you, I was crushed. I couldn't believe it. I felt, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I was young in the Lord. I was ashamed. I felt embarrassed. I second guessed my decision to do the whole thing I was second guessing it all the way home. I said, Lord, what in the world happened? They all walked out. of I me. Mean, even my teacher, listen, if that happened to me today, I'd be at the Dean. I'd be turning that teacher in. And when I went back out in the hall, I turned to all of them and say, "Boo!" <laughs> but back when I was young in the Lord, it crushed me because it shamed me. I felt shame. And on the way home in the bus ride, I said, Lord, what happened did I fail you he said you didn't fail me did I not tell you if they persecuted me they will persecute you if they receive me they'll receive you welcome Jeff to my world now I got over it and I never gave up my witness in the University of North Texas never did witness till the day I walked away but that was an experience my first experience in genuine rejection, wholesale, industrial strength, rejection of the Jesus I was standing for. It taught me, brace yourself. You ought not be surprised at the fiery trial that has come upon you. As though some strange thing were happening to you. You take a stand for the Lord, you're a light bulb, dude. You're a thousand watt spotlight in the dark. Don't be surprised if people turn on you and try to shame you. So how do I get rid of shame, Jeff? How do I get rid of shame? I'm going to give you three simple ways that Jesus got rid of shame. He's our example. He is our model. So let's look at how he did it. First, we need to do exactly what Jesus did. The Bible says he despised the shame. Can you say with me, despise the shame? Now listen carefully. That's a strong word. He despised the shame. Listen to what it says. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That three-word phrase jumped out at me. I read that a million times, but this time it jumped out at me. He despised the shame. What does that mean? He despised the shame. In the original language, this word, despise, is taken from a Greek word that means to think down on. It refers to holding somebody in contempt, deeming someone unworthy, despise, treat somebody contemptuously. You know what it's telling us Jesus did? Jesus held shame in contempt. Oh, that's strong. I want you to get that. When that emotion, that feeling, that impulse to feel shame rises up in us, You know, when it it rose up in Jesus, you know what he did? He looked at it with contempt. He looked down at it. He said, shame, you're not going to have one inch of real estate in my soul. This means that when shame began to attack his heart and tempt him to abandon his purpose, he said to shame, shame, I despise you. I think we ought to try that today can you say it with me? Shame, I despise you. Shame, I despise you. Now say with me, I hold you in contempt. When was the last time you talked to shame that way? When you're about ready to witness for Jesus and shame rise up and say, I better not. I'll get shamed if I say this. I'll get looked down on. I'll be made fun of. I'll get mocked or ridiculed. Jesus would look at that emotion and say, I despise you. I hold you in contempt. I will not yield to you. You might attack me, but I will not succumb to you, follow you, or let you rule my heart. You're not worthy of my time. Shame. See, Jesus shows us that being shamed doesn't mean that you've got to succumb to being ashamed. Let me give you some news today. If you take a stand for the Lord, you're going to be shamed. But that doesn't mean you've got to walk away ashamed. See, I learned that day I walked away ashamed. And I learned that day that just because somebody wants to shame me doesn't mean it's got to get on me. But when somebody tries to shame me for taking a stand for God, then I will not receive feeling ashamed for standing for Jesus. Amen. Amen. Catch this, church, because out there in your workplace, in the corporate world, wherever you are, they're immediately going to try to shame you and make you feel ashamed that you opened your mouth. And so when you have that emotion, I want you to remember this message today and I want you to say, I despise you. Shame. You will not have place in me. I'm going to take a stand for God and no way I'm yielding to the demands of political correctness. I'm taking a stand for God. But there's more. Jesus was able to despise the shame. Because of the joy that was set before him. Listen to what it says. He despised the shame for the joy that was set before him. You know what that's telling us? Jesus refused to let shame rob him of his purpose or his future. I came today to rebuke a spirit of shame off the church. We live in a day that's saying you must be politically correct We will not accept you. We will not receive you. We will shame you, mock you, ridicule you. And we will make you submit to our mold. And I'm here to say, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. And may the church grow a spine where we stand up and say, you know what? Say about me what you want. Shame me if you will. But I will not be ashamed of the gospel or of my savior or of the words he taught. I rebuke shame. I want you to think with me about Jesus hanging on that cross. You talk about a shaming moment. A shame-filled moment. Jesus hanging on that cross. Watch this. His friends had left him in shaming abandonment. His reputation was destroyed by shaming slander. His decency was taken away by shaming nakedness. His comfort was taken in shaming torture. He was surrounded by people who were ashamed of him. Only a few women stayed at the cross. His mother and the other Mary and a couple of others. That's it. All of his men left him ashamed. It was a shaming moment. So how in the world did Jesus not give in to the power of shame? How did he not succumb? How was he able to look at shame and say, I despise you, I don't accept you, I will not be ashamed? How was he able to do it? The Bible says he set his heart not on the support systems of this present world that will always fail you, but on the joy of the future where very soon he would sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. He looked beyond the shame. He looked beyond the cross and saw where he soon would be. Lord of lords, king of kings, high and lifted up. Higher than every name given in heaven or earth or under the earth. He saw where he was going. He looked beyond that cross and therefore looking at what was coming in the future, he was able to despise the shame. So first, folks, we must despise the shame. But second, we must focus on what is coming. Well, what is coming? The joy of soon seeing Jesus. We're about to see Jesus. Everybody in this room is going to one day see Jesus. And soon and very soon, we're going to see the King. And so when you focus on that, you're able to look at the shame and say, you're not stopping me from that. There's one more way to shun the shame. And walk in the freedom of boldness. And that is, listen, to ponder the power of the gospel you're taking a stand for and its ability to transform the lives of those who are seeking to shame you. Listen to what Paul said closely. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for, here's why, it is the power of God to salvation. For everyone who believes. You know what he's saying there? How can I be ashamed of something that reconciles a lost soul to God? Yes, some are going to reject it. Yes, some are going to make fun of it. But that's all right. Because the ones who believe are delivered from hell, sent to heaven, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, filled with the Holy Spirit, brought into their divine purpose. How in the world, Paul is saying, here's why I'm not ashamed. Because of what the gospel of Christ does for people think with me a minute can you imagine a doctor who discovers a cure for cancer being ashamed to tell somebody hey dr bob how's it going oh it's going well what you been doing lately well i'm really hesitant to say a little embarrassed well what happened well you see gosh man forgive me if i blush i'm kind of holding back but last month i discovered a, a cure for cancer you discovered a cure for cancer. You can cure cancer. Why aren't you shouting it from the house tops? Listen, we hold in our hearts the cure for the cancer of sin. And people say to me, "Well, what changed your life?" Well, you know, I just uh, you know I'm a little hesitant to say I'm I'm just a silent witness. Well, what's that? Well, it. Jesus kind of exudes from the pores of my skin. I just know that you're going to get it when you see I don't go to the bars with you and I don't do these different things. You're going to add two and two and go, oh, well, he's a Christian. No, do you know that silent witness is an oxymoron? you can't be silent and witness to anything. See, here's the deal. Nothing in the world can transform a person like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Buddhism can't wash your sin away. Hinduism can't open heaven's gates for you. Islam cannot deliver you from hell. Only one message saves sinners and brings them safely into the presence of God, and that's the gospel, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how can we be ashamed of that? I love this verse. And in none other than Jesus is there salvation. For neither is there any other name under heaven that is given among men whereby we must be saved. So here's what Jesus and Paul would say to us in closing. Here's what they would say. Will you be misunderstood? Yes, you will. Will you be shamed in this world? Yes, you will. But you don't have to be ashamed for soon you're going to see him face to face. And on top of that, The message of Jesus that you're sharing with them has the power to totally transform their life, to wash a person from their sin, deliver them from the power of Satan, carry them through heaven's gates when they die, and grant them joy unspeakable and full of glory in this lifetime. So I rebuke shame. I want a church that's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Repeat with me, Let's just sum up what I shared. If I'm going to be free of shame, I must despise the shame. Say despise the shame. Focus on what's coming and ponder the power of the gospel. I don't know about you, but I'm stirred in my heart by today's message. What a mighty Savior we serve. Now, don't go anywhere because we've got some exciting things to share with all of our Life Talk listeners you're going to want to take advantage of. I look forward to seeing you next time on Life Talk. Until then, may God bless you richly is my prayer. Hi, this is Pastor Jeff, and if you appreciate the straightforward Bible teaching you hear on Life Talk Radio, you can help us continue to be a voice of truth on this station. Call toll-free at 877-884-3111 or go online to lifetalkradio.us anytime, day or night, and make a donation to empower Life Talk to continue transforming lives with the power of the gospel. Call 877-884-3111 or go online to lifetalkradio.us and give your best gift today.
1: Don't be ashamed. It's the fourth message of
0: Pastor Jeff's series, The Race. You can own a copy of this six CD set for just $30 plus shipping. Log on to lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free
1: at 877-884-3111. Get your copy of today's message for just $5 or purchase the entire series, The Race, for
0: only $30 plus shipping by logging on to lifetalkradio.us or calling us toll-free at 877-884-3111 for more information.
1: You've been listening to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire. To find out more about Dr. Wickwire's ministry and Turning Point Church, visit us at lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. That's 877-884-3111.